I'm here with Paul and Beth Zuccarelli. And Paul, you have an exciting story to say the least that um, you died twice in the hospital. And uh, one of those times you experienced an elimination of conscience and went to heaven. Let's uh, quickly tell us uh, why were you in the hospital and how you died there. Yeah, I went in for open heart surgery to repair my mitral valve. And um, I survived the surgery and the doctors thought I was fine and sent me to the ICU. And about 24 hours later, I had what's called sudden cardiac death. Um, my heart stopped <clears throat> and, and then my soul left my body and I watched them work on me and this glorious white light comes brighter than the sun, just brilliant, brilliant white. Mm -hmm. And it took me into heaven um, and I traveled into the, some people say there's a tunnel. Mine was just this illumination of light that got bigger and bigger and bigger as I was drawn into it upward. And then when I got to the kingdom, it wrapped me, um, total in warmth in this radiant white light. And I immediately started worshiping God and thanking him and praising him that I was in heaven. Could you see him or see anything? No, no one's seen God unless you die. Uh -huh. But I remember, uh, one John, uh, uh, one, verse 5, where he says, um, <clears throat> where the apostle says, um, God is light. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what he, that's what he's taught, taught us, and that's what they proclaim as God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Right. So we ended up, uh, or I ended up, praising him, worshiping him. I can share with you that I did not want to come back here. If I had to put human terms on where I was, mm -hmm. I was home. One word to sum it up, I was home where I belong with the Lord. And again, um, I had there's an ardor of affection there that I would call unconditional love that we don't experience here on earth. Um, complete joy, happiness, warmth, and peace. Um, and again, I was no holy man. I didn't do enough praise and worship. I probably spent 99.5% of my time on me and the world and very little on him and the kingdom. You're a very successful businessman. Yeah, very successful business. I was too much of the world. I use the analogy. I was the fruit, or I was the seed, rather, mm -hmm. where the thorns came up and was choking it out. It didn't bear enough fruit because, again, the anxieties of life in the world or the pleasures and the lure of money, et cetera, and riches and wealth get in the way of the kingdom. And this illumination was three years ago? Happened on Pentecost Sunday, 2017, June uh, June 4th weekend, and I ended up, um, <clears throat> so that was the first time I died. <clears throat> I go back in my body, and the doctors asked me to say something, and I said, uh, you used 150 joules of electricity on me, didn't you? Mm -hmm. doctor goes, how does he know we did, though? Because mm -hmm. I had looked. And um, anyway, the next day, the doctor said I was fine, told the family in science, he's fine. His heart stopped, but we got him back. It's no big deal. Uh, the Lord had a different plan for me, and the tumult had just begun. So the next day was Pentecost Sunday at 8.49 a.m. I died again. And this time they couldn't get me back. I was dead for about two hours. My family had to witness this. Mm -hmm. And um, um, when the chaplain at the ICU told the family that's it, or what he has is fatal, <clears throat> um, Dr. Shervatsen here, if he wants to do anything else, it's his call. But the ICU teams and the crash teams had given up on me. They couldn't perfuse me anymore with epinephrine. Thank God they intubated me between like the third and fourth cardiac arrest, trying to perfuse some blood through me. But um, that's when the Holy Spirit kicked in. 
And when the family got the news that um, there's nothing more they can do for me and that they lost me, um, the Holy Spirit prompted our son Michael to go back in the room, take the crucifix that my wife, my wonderful wife, bought me two days before surgery, and to get to St. Paul's Church now, leave the hospital. In Tucson. Or Phoenix. 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 Yeah. So he, Michael, proceeded to do what the Lord instructed him to do, thanks be to God. And he drives to St. Paul's Church. And uh, he thinks it's a priest. He goes in there and was no ordin it was no priest. It was the Bishop of Phoenix, Thomas Olmsted. And um, Michael handed him the cross. And Bishop was doing sacraments of First Communion and Confirmation. And he had chrism on his hands. And Michael kind of fell at his feet and handed him the cross and said, help my father, pray for him. Please help save his life. He's a good man. Bishop Olmsted later told us, I have, no, I have not seen faith like that. Mm. Um, for me, it reminds me of the Roman centurion story. It's one of the healings in the Bible where the guy who was healed wasn't physically present where Jesus was. Tom, Bishop Olmsted shared with us that he took the crucifix, felt the suffering of the family, and prayed. And my son's faith so moved. So when his, Bishop held the crucifix, he could feel the suffering, said, yeah, the the suffering of the family. Yeah. And, the, and he said, I, your son's faith moved my heart so much that I actually went back to my private chapel and prayed in the afternoon. Uh, after I prayed with your son diligently, um, I went back during my Vespers and evening prayer and that the Holy Spirit would give you an anointing and a healing on Pentecost in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I really, your son's faith was incredible. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so <clears throat> meanwhile, while they were praying, Dr. Shervatsen said to my wife, I need to give your husband rest. That's all I can do is give him rest. There's no treatment. So he proceeded to um, throw a pacemaker in my neck, wire down my juggler to try to beat my heart outside my body mechanically. Then he went up to my brainstem and my ganglion nerve to kill my heart and lungs through anesthetic. And then he would try to flip a switch and keep me alive, both breathing and heart mechanically to give me some rest because <clears throat> there's no treatment. And he later shared with us that uh, he was proceeding with getting that ready to do. But the problem was um, I didn't have a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So he showed us the chart and said, spontaneously, Paul, your heart came back on its own so we could proceed. We're standing right, what happened? And it was basically when my son Michael was seeking God through the bishop and they began praying for me. Mm -hmm. So he was able to anesthetize my ganglion nerve in my brainstem put me basically in a medically induced coma, beat my heart outside my body, mm -hmm. and give me 36 hours of rest. Mm -hmm. And I came to, <clears throat> and they shut the box off, and I lived, and I became a new man in Christ, a new creation. And your son prayed with the bishop roughly how long? You know, I'd have to ask Michael. Probably five, ten minutes. Yeah, it was brief, because it was just after him doing the sacraments. Yeah, probably five or ten minutes, but... Bishop almost told us, he said, your son's faith was incredible. I, yeah. I went back to my private chapel and prayed. And then your son Michael went into the church and felt this great sense of peace. Yeah, right? so a after yeah, he went back outside the church and sat in the Stations of the Cross at St. Paul's Church. Oh, outside of the church. Outside oh, the church. Okay. And he said, this huge peace came over me, Dad, uh -huh. that everything was going to be okay. I can't ex explain it. It was like everything was fine. Mm -hmm. And... <clears throat> Michael looked at his phone because he was texting, you know, his mom and brother. And, and we, we compare that to the chart of Mayo. And um, that's when uh, 
that's when I was out of the woods, so to speak. Hmm. Um, they had me stabilized. Hmm. Um, so. And and the illumination you experienced, that was with the first death? Or? Yeah, that, so while I'm in heaven, um, now what's interesting is I have no memory between the first cardiac arrest mm -hmm. on Saturday at 2.10 p.m. and Monday when I come to. In okay. fact, I could show you my clinical records because mm -hmm. when they visited me on Sunday morning during rounds in the morning, the doctor notes, patient has no recollection of what happened to him yesterday. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and again, I think the Holy Spirit was, and I never took a pain med after all this, and the doctors were just, we don't understand. We've electrocuted you, you have welts and bruises, and we sawed you in half surgically. Mm -hmm and you refused pain meds because you didn't have pain. That's unheard of. So <clears throat> while I was in, in, surrounded by this radiant white light, I, I get this, um, what I call an illumination of conscience. And I say that, Father, because I didn't feel like I was judged per se, mm -hmm. but my life makes perfect sense. I, I basically was reminded of all the things that I did, that when at the time I did them, my conscience knew they were wrong and I did them anyway. And some of them you did not remember going into surgery. Or correct. Something, right? Correct. Yeah. Some of them are just yeah. simple stuff. Yeah. Um, some of them are sinful. Yeah. Um, and uh, what would be simple? Simple stuff. Uh, <laughs> two of them. One is um, I uh, had the intention playing little league ba basketball, maybe age ten or eleven, and I I uh, didn't care for this kid in the our team, and I was going to flip him on a, on a foul shot and hook him over my hip and try to, you know, knock him down to the ground. And I was kind of said, don't do that. You'll hurt him. I did it anyway. And sure enough, the guy misses the foul shot and they come down and they break mm -hmm. his collarbone. And I had to watch him writhe in pain. Mm -hmm. Another one was I was bought a bow and arrow. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a rabbit in the backyard. And I said, I'm going to shoot that rabbit. And I remember, now I remember, it's like, don't do that. That's my creation. Mm -hmm. And I did it anyway. And I hit it. And I remember that rabbit squealing till it died at about 15 minutes of painful death. Wow. And I saw it again. Wow. Those are two good examples. Wow. And how did you feel? But it was all simultaneous. Yeah. And did you walk away feeling like great remorse or? Yeah. Oh, I knew. Yeah. It's like you knew you shouldn't have done that and you did it anyway. So, uh -huh. um, <clears throat> but I didn't feel judged per se. Um, yeah. I didn't feel condemned probably because I had to come back in the body. Mm. And you know, repent and uh, change my ways. So you came back and made a good confession. Amen, amen. Yeah. Yes, and then also uh, reminds me of uh, Book of Sirach seven thirty six. Mm -hmm. Now that I've died and come back, and the Scripture says, "In all you do, remember your last days, mm -hmm. and you will never sin." Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to lead a life of uh, the virtue of mortification. Yeah, and making sure that I, when I die, my soul's in a state of grace. Right. Um, I'm very, very conscious of that. Yeah. And what did it feel like when you made that confession after the illumination? Oh, was it was, it was uh, um, refreshing, cleansing. Yeah. 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 Move forward. Yeah. But, you know, again, for me, I don't know whether it's just the guilt, you know, your sins are ever before you. Mm. You know, I think God forgives, mm -hmm. doesn't forget. Mm. He knows. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would think that would be interesting for people. It's interesting for me. It's like, okay, yeah, we preach Ten Commandments and sin, but really what is sin? You know, how deep yeah. is it? Sometimes, you know, you, you're not sure what you're overlooking and what right. you're not. 
you read the life of a saint and then my gosh you know you feel right like i don't even know what sin is compared to these guys you know <laughs> but uh yeah so um now beth um from a mother's perspective and from a wife's oh let me ask you did hear another locution from the lord about suffering yeah I, yeah tell us that yeah before all this occurred you know i went from a doctor being misdiagnosed that i'm fine i'll die something else go live my life to the locution occurred on december 8th 2016 the feast of our immaculate conception where um you know i was told to go to the mail that it was the mm -hmm. valve i need to get there so when i get there subsequently find out three months later i'm near heart failure i have to have surgery so I went from being, you're fine, to you need open-heart surgery in a matter of months. And I'm driving back to Tucson from Phoenix from the Mayo. And the Lord says, now that I know I need surgery, um, read the word, highlight when I move you, you're going to need this. And as I'm reading the word, I'm sobbing because the locution is, I suffered for you, you will suffer for me, but I'll be with you over and over and over again. <clears throat> and I used to read the Bible, kind of what I could get out of it consolation and comfort. Mm -hmm. When I was reading the Bible before surgery, it was not what I was getting out of. It was what he wanted me to know, mm -hmm. his will for me. And it's like, you're going to suffer. You will suffer. Mm -hmm. And my prayer life really focused on two prayers. After I had accepted this, I said, Lord, you know, let me, your will be done, but um, I accept it. I surrender to your will. But, you know, I began praying for the salvation of the souls of my family. I really, really diligently committed my family to the Lord and the salvation. And I, and I said, whatever has to happen to me, let it lead my family back to Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. Not just my immediate family, our, our extended families. Mm -hmm. you know. And I said, um, my other prayer was, uh, I didn't want to die. And I know you can't barter with God, but I made an oath and a covenant that um, the harvest is great and the workers are few. Mm -hmm. And that uh, he's the potter on the clay, repurpose me, send me into the fire, refine me. Mm -hmm. send me out on the harvest field. Mm -hmm. And um, if you do that, I'll leave the rest of my life for you, bringing souls to Christ and Christ to souls. Mm -hmm. And then God has done that with, you give witness talks, and mm -hmm. you've yeah. written a book. Um, Faith Understood. Faith Understood, yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and we donate all the proceeds of the book to the evangelization of Christ in the church. And then your health is good today? Your heart is... Nobody's good. <laughs> uh, only God is good. Right? Um, you know, my, I don't have a normal heart. Mm -hmm. I'm still suffering from you know, a large atrium, some arrhythmias. But you know what? God is good. He loves me. I'm not worried about dying at all. I fear no death. Yeah. You have a you know, pacemaker. I have a pacemaker defibrillator in case my heart stops. Oh, wow. But, uh, you know, every day is a gift, and I live it that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I sometimes ponder this because someday I'll understand why all this truly happened to me, mm -hmm. why I was given this private revelation. And, you know, I think to myself, I don't know, maybe there's one person I'm supposed to meet. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. I go to heaven again. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's 50. Maybe the mm -hmm. Lord wants me to touch 100. Mm -hmm. He knows. I don't worry about that. You know, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. Right. And I really, really... I struggle at days. I don't want to be here. I want to go home. Right, right. I've seen and tasted unconditional love. Yeah, yeah. And and you're speaking from a point of view. You got very successful businessmen. You've seen, you've been in the rat race and know the whole grind of what 
American life is like, especially. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, Beth, you watched us all as a wife and mother and uh, in the hospital dying twice. And, and you had a, your own powerful experience. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, well, after Paul's cardiac first cardiac arrest, I spent the night in ICU with him. And then, of course, on Pentecost Sunday, when he had his multiple cardiac arrests, and we all had to watch and witness that for two hours, um, it was very difficult. And myself and my two sons, Michael and David, we just hugged each other and prayed together. And my oldest son was very distraught. So I spent the night in ICU with him again on Sunday night. And then he wasn't able to communicate with us until probably late Monday afternoon when they finally extubated him. And he was talking and he seemed to be okay. So I told both of my sons that I was gonna go over to the hotel and I was gonna take a quick shower and come back and spend the night with dad again in ICU. So I asked my younger son to sit with him while I go over and do that. So I walked over to the hotel and when I walked in the hotel, it was the first time I had been alone this whole weekend since it all happened. So I walked in that room and I literally broke down. I did not have to be strong for my boys anymore. I just let it go. I just cried. I just wept. I prayed. And I walked over to the window and I looked up to God and I said, God, what is happening to my family? What is going to happen to my family? And I continued to cry and I continued to pray. And eventually I went into the bedroom and just out of pure exhaustion, I threw myself on the bed. And the last thing I remember is this instantaneous thought of our son, David. And it was like an image or a a thought of a black cell phone. And on this cell phone was an incoming text message or some sort of message, whether it was an email or text, I don't know. But the message was, come back. And the next thing I remember, I felt this wind literally go through me, right through my core, and I was out completely out. And I woke up 40 minutes later in complete peace and completely rested like I'd slept 10 hours. And I just had this peace about me that I just knew everything was going to be okay. So I got in the shower and I came back to the hospital and I woke up to a husband the next day walking around with his IV pole, evangelizing the other patients in ICU, just praying over each of those rooms. So you immediately took up hospital ministry. Yep. (laughs) The nurses- You had your gown fully tied in the back. Yeah, Yeah. I was safe, it was safe, it was safe. Everybody in ICU was like, that's really him? He's the guy who died nine times, Yeah. yeah. In your book, you talk about uh, reflections and lessons you learned. And uh, I thought these were real interesting, real practical, helpful. 
first one you talk about, Paul, is life is a gift. Um, why do you say that? Well, I didn't realize how precious life was until I meditated on Psalm 139. And it's truly a gift. I mean, we're not our own creatures. Um, and, you know, I used to live in the, in the secular world where it was about me um, and, you know, my piece of the pie, my piece of the American dream. And now I live for Christ, uh, been crucified with Christ, you know, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, and I don't live anymore in the flesh. And it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh counts for nothing in John 6.63. But um, it's what we do with our lives. That It's a gift. Mm -hmm. So what I do now is I try to <clears throat> die to self every day. It's very hard. And I try to um, use my life for God's will for me. As we all try to always discern what's, what's God's will. I believe the Lord allowed me a second chance again to bring souls to Christ and Christ to souls and that's what I try to do and but every life has a purpose every life is a gift and um, our gift is to one another as we build the, the community of, uh, of the church until he comes again in the parousia I love what you say here I now view life as a precious gift from God I no longer ponder why I'm here this is passive thinking and you say that you know, God's created you for a purpose and you're doing as well. I love that. It's like when we get kind of, yeah, passive, self-focused, we come with all kinds of questions. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to figure it all out this side of eternity. Yeah. But and in the book, I include the mission statement that I wrote when I was 28, which I didn't write now that I look back. The Holy Spirit wrote it. And it's who I am and why I exist to the point of what's your purpose. Mm. And mine was all related to my relationships with God and my roles as a husband, father, son, Etc. Never said what I do for a living. And I like what you say too about just, uh, you know, the Lord told you you would suffer, but He would be with you. And that also, in the context of being given a mission, right, to evangelize, to share all your experiences and stuff. And uh, I think that just resonates so true to me that uh, you know, there is no fruitfulness to our mission without suffering, without the cross. Has that been your experience? <clears throat> yeah, I've I've basically come to know Jesus through the through the cross. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's oftentimes, Father, that I meditate on the cross and the passion, and just try to visualize, you know, the 240 wounds of the scourging and the nails and the sword and, and the spear in the side. And you know, I used to ponder, how could God love me so much? That love is infinite. How can it be that much? that he would die for me mm -hmm. to reconcile me to God the Father. Mm -hmm. And I think the greatest act of love we can do for another human being is to tell them mm -hmm. about the love of God the Father through, through the cross of Jesus Christ. But now that I've experienced that unconditional love that I couldn't fathom in the mm -hmm. body before, how could God do this mm -hmm. for me? But now that I've seen it and tasted it and witnessed it, I want to go back. Mm -hmm. It exists. So, you know, mine, I'm nothing more than an example of divine mercy. Mm -hmm. The greater the sinner, the greater the fount mm -hmm. of mercy. And, uh, and also the power of intercessory prayer. Mm -hmm. And all this happened on Pentecost Sunday. Mm -hmm. Thanks be to God. And, and you don't, I mean, you do give some talks in parishes. You've yeah, written the oh, book. Absolutely. But you also kind of look at it as one-on-one, -on -one, right? And 
people you meet because your second lesson is that faith grows in relationships yeah i used to think faith was just me you know i gotta take care of my own salvation and mm -hmm. if i live a good life hopefully someday i'll be glorified yeah i miss the point of life yeah. it's the sanctification process that's why jesus says mm -hmm. you know on earth as it is in heaven be our father mm -hmm. on earth so that sanctification process on earth i am supposed to <clears throat> ensure that others know christ um for the salvation we're all supposed to be evangelists or disciples of christ we're supposed to proclaim the good news right okay i don't have the priestly powers but i can certainly proclaim the word and you know what i love about paul is he says faith comes through hearing and hearing comes from the word of god and we know jesus is defined as the word of god in revelation 19 13. Yeah. and what i found with catholics <clears throat> is because beth and i began to teach bible study I researched the entire Bible from an exegesis mm -hmm. perspective, line by line, verse by verse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these people are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And they said, I had no idea that's what that meant. Mm -hmm. So if we can help people's faith grow in relationship, in a deeper relationship, I think everybody should have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. Everyone. Right. And we, you know, to me, it's done through the Word. And the relationships, too, is a relationship with God and with one another helps our faith grow as we right. share and give it away. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. I think the more faith you have, your hope goes up. Okay. The more hope goes up, the more charity you'll show. Right. It's all related, right. the virtues. Right. All right, lesson three, prayer matters to God. Yeah, I'm an example <laughs> of intercessory <laughs> prayer. Be careful what you ask for, he listens. You know, my mom had a great saying. She goes, honey, you know you're, you're an impatient man, but... God doesn't always pay on Fridays, but he always pays on time, yeah. his time. Yeah. And so I've learned to be more patient, um, but the power of prayer is unbelievable, especially you know, where two or more joined in my name there I'll be. Mm -hmm. So what we found is, you know, I, have, I used to pray for myself, okay, and it was stupid prayers. You know, I wish my boss was nicer to me. I wish my wife wouldn't yell at me. It was just about me. My prayer life now is more into what I can pray for others and pray over people. And if I've been given the gift of healing, I pray for healing on people yeah. all the time. And your story, I mean, like Bishop Olmstead prayed with your son. And uh, of course, your wife was praying and, and Michael prayed after that as well. But I find that as it's fascinating to me that how Michael is inspired to go pray and finds the Seek bishop. <laughs> I don't know what the word is, chief priest of the diocese or yeah. bishop. Yeah. And like, you know, priests are supposed to intercede for their flock, you know. So right there in your story, it shows the power of, of prayer, of interceding right. for others. And, and you're right, prayer matters to God. He listens to us. He yearns for a relationship with us. He desires to talk uh, to him about everything in our lives. We matter to him. Um, and you read about people wonder how to pray. What, what advice do you give to people about prayer? That's a great question, Father. Um, I've learned to pray in the Spirit now. I didn't realize how often the Bible says when you pray, pray in the Spirit. And, you know, pray without ceasing. So, <clears throat> you know, to me, um, there's two types of prayer. I talk to God a lot. To me, that's mm -hmm. prayer. That's acknowledgement. That's worship. Mm -hmm. But I also do, I've become more contemplative. Um, and I try to practice Lectio Divina, where I try to really just meditate. Mm -hmm. Because to me, sometimes prayer isn't me talking. 
It's silence. Mm-hmm. It's me listening. Mm-hmm. So when I sit in front of the crucifix and I meditate on the wounds. Yeah. We've got a beautiful, there's a convent near us and they have a, a chapel and they have this beautiful, it's bigger than life-size crucifix and it's this wood carving. And I sometimes when I sit before we offer mass down there, that I, it just has a way of filling your senses. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, you know, Jesus suffering for us, you just can't exhaust that, you know. Right. It just has a way of, it kind of just gives you pause, you know, whatever's going on in your day, it gives you pause, whether you're not at your best. Or, <laughs> you know, Amen. Yeah. A lesson four, focus on your soul because in the end it's all that really matters. And uh, I would think your illumination, I, you know, because we're, mo- you know, Catholics are kind of teased or mocked about um, you guys, everything's sinful. You know, you guys are always worried about sin and all this stuff. But, you know, it's a gift that we have the moral teaching of the church. I don't know. I always, I heard this from a priest one time. He said he had this conversion. He said he realized you didn't have to wake up and figure out the universe every day anymore. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know if, you're, if you're trying to do God's will, right. Ten Commandments is a good place to start, you know. Right. And uh, do good, avoid evil. And that, you know, that is, that's growing closer to the Lord. You know, how we live morally. And it's a great gift that we can recognize sin and repent of that. Yeah, you know, I know, like you said, we get we get labeled. But uh, as I tell my evangelical friends, um, Paul says over and over again that you may be saved. May he uses the word "may," not "will," um, because again, to me, it's it's how when we die, what what the state of our soul at the time of our death, and um, <clears throat> reminds me of Ecclesiastes seven one. Better the day of your death than the day of your birth. Um, but to answer your question, um, I'm sorry, Father, you're on number four in there? Yes. The, the, um, wasn't the prayer? Oh, focus on your soul. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, I guess I would answer that question this way. I know prior to my near-death experience, I spent 99.9% of my time on me and the body, mm-hmm. very little on the soul. Now that I know there is something after this life when your body dies mm-hmm. and it's eternal, it's not right. temporal. Right. So I say, focus on your soul, feed it with the word, because in the end, it's just between you and God. Yeah. It's yeah. not between you and anybody else in this world. Right. Yeah. So, and then I also help me understand that in the Bible, salvation is is preached a lot. Mm-hmm. Repentance is mentioned. Repentance of sin is mentioned over two times more than the word salvation in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So if that gets us labeled with mm-hmm. Catholic guilt, so mm-hmm. be it. Mm-hmm. Because we have to repent. Right. And um, so repentance is critically important. I didn't get that before my near-death experience. Yeah. I like, it just makes me think of like focusing on your soul. It's almost like, you know, to almost present your soul to God. Either we can trash it and drag it through the mud, dissipate our interior life, squander it, like the prodigal son Amen. in a foreign land. Yeah. <laughs> or we can treat it as this precious pearl of great price we have the kingdom within in a sense and present that to god and it sounds like a much more beautiful way to live isn't it? <laughs> it is once, once you found the treasure like it says you yeah sell everything you hold on to it yeah that's all that's all that matters is the kingdom yeah. that's your soul right. see i used to think the soul and the body were separate they're mm-hmm. not they're distinct mm-hmm. they're very they're distinct so you're to me your soul is your true self and mm-hmm. I articulate that a little bit in the book. Yeah. Your soul is your true self, not your body. Right. right. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, in our culture, you know, being materialistic and consumeristic, it gets us to think so much about our physical body, physical health. And, you know, it's like we don't think about eternity, like you said, and how short life really is. I, I think about that more and more. It's like, I think like, yeah, I've been here since 90, 1994 at UBTN, and it was just blown by. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like life blows by. Mm-hmm. <laughs> eternity is forever. And I... I don't know. I, I know I'm going to weep, you know, when my mom dies and loved ones die and everything. But at the same time, it's like, you know, this will be done in the blink of an eye. <laughs> the, I'm going to share this with you, and I don't, because when I'm around people that are mourning a loved one, mm-hmm. I never say it to them. They must mourn. But I'm actually envious of the dead person if yeah. I knew they were faithful. Yeah. I'm actually, and I won't, I, I'm not, I'm envious because I know where they are. Right. Yeah. And again, um, again, I, I don't, I respectfully, I will never right. say that to a mourning person. Right. But, um, so again, I, I struggle in this life because again, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And there's days I don't want to be here, but I am. Yeah. yeah. In the last lesson, there is salvation and suffering. I mean, are you one of those Catholics that always walk, wear a crucifix around your neck? And always <laughs> talking about suffering? And It reminds me of what he did for me. You know, I don't want to be a non-denomination, look at the cross and say, I want the dessert. I know he's in heaven. I'm saved. That's all I want is the dessert. Yeah. You know, you got to, you know, go through the process. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. without the death, there's no resurrection. But to me, you know, I wrote an exhortation on suffering because I try to help people with suffering whether it's addiction or whether it's mm-hmm. cancer or whether it's just, you know, mental or mm-hmm. spiritual suffering. <clears throat> and I give it out to people because I, I try to minister to them in suffering. And to me, Father, there's when suffering comes your way, which death is going to come to all of us, but people go one of two ways. You know, they will, and to me, they'll focus on self when they suffer and it's like, it's kind of the devil uses your mind. Satan says, you know, well, if you know, if God was loved you, your child wouldn't die of cancer, or if God really loved you, you wouldn't get this disease, or you know, um, your your son wouldn't be a drug addict and take his life. So the devil plays minds to separate, and a lot of people go that route because they're so focused on they don't want the suffering. Mm-hmm. They'll do anything to get away from it. So that's why we have a lot of addictions, etc., or pornography, or the other option is there's only one of two ways. You're going to make a beeline to the foot of the cross mm-hmm. because you're going to realize I am mortal. Jesus died for me to reconcile me to God the Father, to forgive original sin so that I can inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that's the treasure. You will make a beeline to the foot of the cross and you will understand finally what he did for you. Mm-hmm. So you're either going to go A or B. Right, right. Have you spoken to like people in addiction and stuff? It's like a, just a group, like maybe given a talk to and stuff. Not, not a group. I haven't done a group of, of, of addicts. I've, I've found some young men that had had addictions, mm-hmm. and I, again, I network. <clears throat> I ask a friar who's a brother. I ask the priest, would it be okay if this man's name was Luke and he's a good person? Yeah. Um, would could he talk to the brother who had his own addiction? Right. And overcame it through Christ. Right. right. So I try to connect dots. Yeah. People with similar backgrounds that have right. overcome 
the temporal. Yeah. I, and I think the Catholic message is so powerful. I mean, it's, it's the biblical message, the Christian message, but you know, the Catholicism is so strong on that, the value of suffering. I think, one, is because that's how Jesus redeemed us. And we're told as disciples, we are to pick up our cross and follow him. So mm -hmm. it's going to be in our life. And that we all have suffering, believers or unbelievers. And, you know, it's like we have, I, I've heard it said, I, I remember reading a conversion story of a woman that became Catholic and she was an alcoholic and stuff. And she was, she was sobering up and wanted to find a religion for herself and her son. And she went visiting, trying out different religions. And she went to the Catholic church and, and saw the crucifix above the altar and said, well, this is a God that understands me. You know, what a great yeah. metaphor. Wow. Yeah. Wonderful yeah. metaphor. She has been beaten to death by alcohol, so, yeah. you know. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, what our church teaches about that is that, you know, we find God in that suffering. It's like our points of most intense growth, right? Um, spiritually is in that cross. Yep. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because <clears throat> after I survived the, the tumult of the physical, I took the crucifix and I didn't know whether I had another breath or another day or another hour to live. I was just going to suddenly die again. Mm -hmm. And I meditated on Job. Mm -hmm. I just really thought of Job. Mm -hmm. If this is a test, Lord, you know, as Paul says in Second Corinthians, I believe it's uh, 13.5, where he says, examine yourself to see whether you're living in your faith. Mm -hmm. test yourselves do you not know that jesus christ is in you mm. unless indeed you fail the test mm. so i thought okay lord if there's something else coming my way i have to stay faithful i have to remain in you and you and me christ in me and again i realized i moved from surrender to dependence i finally got that every day he gives me every breath he gives me every heartbeat it's his it's not mine right and that I don't know if you said it in our interview or you said it before, but the Sirach quote about... Oh, the book of Sirach is my yeah. favorite. Yeah. It's uh, <clears throat> 736, chapter 736. And it says, um, in all you do, because we're doing works in the body, mm -hmm. remember your last days mm -hmm. and you will never sin. It doesn't say you may not sin. Right. You will never sin. Right. And again, I'm going to try as hard as I can emotionally, spiritually, intellectually to not fall into sin, even venial sin. I mean, I'm just really conscious, conscious of sin mm -hmm. because I don't know when I'm going to die again. Right. Well, thank you for talking with us. Yeah. And, um, and the foreword of your book is written by Bishop Olmsted. And so you're off Kind of do a great start here. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got a lot of credibility. He's, and, you know, he's just a wonderful man. Um, a man I think should be a saint. Um, and, uh, again, thanks be to God I'm alive. And I, I, I made him an oath and a commitment that I would go to work in the harvest field. And, um, and uh, the time is short. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.